You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 36. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Venzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also Teaching Reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-hosts today are Misty Winkler and Pam Barnhill. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling and organizing attitudes at Simply Convivial. Pam is a speaker, podcaster, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and author of the newly released book, Better Together, Strengthen Your Family, Simplify Your Homeschool, and Savor the Subjects That Matter Most. This episode is sponsored by Teaching Reading with Bob Books. Teaching Reading with Bob Books is a line of printable phonics lessons that is 100% gimmick-free. The goal of the Teaching Reading with Bob Books method is to teach reading as simply as possible. It aims at that little space in your day where reading muscles are grown, the key 10 to 15 minutes of instruction that can change a child's life. Use the discount code SISTERS to get 15% off at checkout. Just visit teachingwithbob.com to learn more. Today's episode is about Scalay in real life with our kids and for our kids. Is Scalay for everyone? That's a big question. And so without further ado, let's get to it. All right, so we're going to start off with an announcement. Yay! And this announcement is that Even though we've been saying for ages that we do not have an Instagram account, we now have an Instagram account. (laughs) It wasn't a lie. (laughs) It wasn't a lie. (laughs) Things have changed. What happened was Pam went out of town and Misty and I were like, let's start an Instagram account while she's gone. (laughs) So we did. exactly what it was like. It was like (laughs) the the cat's away and the mice will play. That's right. (laughs) I think we might have used that line. (laughs) There's a chance that that actually happened. (laughs) So with that said, you can now follow Scalay Sisters on Instagram. And Scalay Sisters Instagram account will now be the home of the, the Scalay Everyday hashtag. Woo-hoo. which you can still use and you can take pictures of your scalet because that's totally a classical thing to do. <laughs> then we will repost it because <laughs> I feel like we're a traitor <laughs> to the classical ideal to be taking pictures of our, um, I don't know why, but I, it's probably fine. But there's a part of me that's like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> the light- Instead, we should make right. watercolors of them. And that really. would be the Luddite part of Brandy shrivels up a little bit. It's true. <laughs> There's a part of me that isn't sure about all this stuff. <laughs> but yes, we reposted, for instance, a video that Celeste made with a little flip through of her pre-reading journal, which was pretty oh, awesome. 
was amazing. Yeah, no, no part of me shriveled during that one. That was really good. <laughs> it's because there were watercolors involved. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, watercolors saved the day. Uh, all right. Well, then let's get our scalay every day going. Uh, Pam, you want to start? I always start. Do you really? <laughs> I felt like I hadn't asked you to start for a while. She picked on you because you don't have anything listed here. No, she does I have do. something listed. It's oh, right now there is. Look at that. Now there is. I do. I'll go first. It's fine. Okay. I'll go first. I guess alphabetically, I probably am first, aren't I? Like by last name. B is for Barnhill. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So my school layout every day is Rethinking School by Susan Wise Bauer. All right. I have seen some quotes from that and it looks really good. It is really good. It is really good. I actually was saying on Facebook Live recently that uh, not only will this have you rethinking school, it'll have you rethinking Susan Wise Bauer. <laughs> Ooh. Nice. It's, I mean, seriously, it's, it was a little, it was a little, there were some parts that really surprised me. Hold on. I was going to try to find the quote, but it has been really, really good. Now you have to take it as, as homeschoolers, you have to take it with the caveat that she's talking to people. Well, she does talk to homeschoolers in here. But she also talks to people who have kids in school and she's offering them solutions which don't necessarily include taking your kids out of school, hmm. you know, working mm -hmm. within the system and things like that. And so she's, she's offering solutions that might not apply to us, but there's some really good stuff in there. And there are some things in there. There are some chapters in there that I noticed there's one chapter that's very similar to her talk that I recommend all the time about teaching your kids to be independent learners. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah. And then there's other ones in there. And it, it was like 10. I can't remember the exact name of the talk, but it was like 10 ways to teach your strong. It's not strong willed child, but you know, something like that. And that chapter I recognized from that talk. Uh, but it's all a very good review. Okay, but this is the quote that I was looking for. So she's talking about her, one of her sons, um, and he was a little bit just differently wired. She says, looking back, I realized the extent to which I was always trying to force this kid to fit the system rather than the other way around. I was using a grammar program with which I had great success, but I should have put it away and worked out another plan. He needed to learn the principles of language in another context, one that made sense to him. He didn't remember what a noun was because the definition was floating out there in his mind, unconnected to anything he cared about. Hmm, that sounds mm. familiar. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but what about pegs? So now I want to ask her, but what about pegs? So anyway. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good book. I, I recommend it. I'll have to get it. I actually don't own anything by her at all. So huh. maybe that'll be my first Susan Wise Bauer book, you know, because I only read books that are at least 50 years old. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't smell like mildew, I'm not reading it. <laughs> I have always liked her talks, most of all, like yeah. her homeschool oh, yeah. talks. I've never seen her in person, but I've heard the recordings. Well, and her interviews with Cersei this year have been so good. I've really enjoyed those. Oh, I need to listen to some of those. But yeah, her talks have always been so this. much more approachable to me than the well-trained mind, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, Brandy, you're next. Oh, I get to go second. Okay, so this is my new book. I haven't actually read it, 
This is one of my plain books for GHC next week. It's called The Self-Driven Child by William Sticksred. That's a horrible name, but anyway. And Ned Johnson. <laughs> you can't just pick on some guy's name. It's a horrible name. Oh, no, but- I can. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong, actually. It probably sounds terrible because I said it wrong. Anyway. The Skole sisters would like to apologize for the rudeness yeah, really. of one of the sisters. Just edit <laughs> all of that out. Okay, so here's the deal. I was reading the introduction today. I've literally only read three pages, but I'm very, very encouraged because I, I kind of bought this book on a whim because I saw it in someone's Instagram feed and I was like, oh, this sounds like it might answer all the questions that I'm getting at GHC because I'm giving this talk on masterly in- inactivity over and over again. Um, it's a version of the talk that I gave at the Scalay Sisters retreat last summer. And the talks I'm getting are all in this area of motivation. And what do we do when they're not motivated? So I'm reading the introduction and these two authors cover the whole spectrum. So one of them has always worked with high performance students. And he, you know, he founded some sort of test prep and college application prep kind of uh, business for, you know, like really fancy students that are like Ivy League bound and that kind of thing. And the other guy has always worked with like learning disabled and unmotivated underperforming students. So together, they're really covering the whole spectrum of students and they're kind of attacking the problem. It sounds like, I'm just from reading the introduction, from different angles because you've got different kinds of anxiety going on, different kinds of concerns going on, depending on where on the spectrum a child might fall. But it looks like the whole goal is really teaching us how to hand ownership over to our children. So I am very, very, very excited to read it because I feel like Charlotte Mason started me on that path, but I wish she had written about 10 times as much (laughs) as she did on the (laughs) subject, just because I feel like it's such an issue in our culture because we've spent so many generations just driving our children and they just follow orders. They're just automatons, right? And so to try to, you know, go back 100 or 150 years, not in the sense of actual uh, regression, but in the sense of coming back to a, a place where we get to, you know, it's like to Charlotte Mason's all education is self-education, where we're actually going back right. to that sense of, you know, if they can't do it for themselves, then it's not going to happen <laughs> kind of framework and then work out from there to help them do that. Anyway, I'm very excited. There's even a whole chapter on navigating learning disabilities, ADHD, and the autism spectrum. Hmm. So I'm very, very excited. Uh, there's Taming the Beast of Technology. I'll be curious to see what he says because, you know, I'm a control freak about one thing and that's technology. So we'll see. I'm sure I'll be posting some quotes on Instagram as time goes on. And then I'll write a review yeah, when I'm done. Interesting. Yeah. You may also like Daniel Pink's Drive, hmm. which is not about school, but it's more about once you're in the real world. How do you? Which So it helped me myself (laughs) when I'm the one who lacks motivation, but it's uh, drive the surprising truth about what motivates us. But that one's, oh, it's an easy read. It's a fun, you know, kind of that pop economy, social, you know. Cool. All right, Misty, what do you got for us? I have Norms and Nobility. So I started again. (laughs) 
my and response was a groan. Pam's <laughs> is supposed to be like, awesome. And I'm like but... over here stifling my groan. <laughs> you need to be more supportive, I'm, Pam. We just had our book Sorry. club meeting that Pam skipped last night on chapter Slacker. <laughs> but it was awesome. And uh I think that if I read chapter two any more times, the entire chapter is just going to be underlined. Hmm. You need a new but, copy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so not the low, low price of $55. <laughs> <laughs> I'm treating this book very carefully. Oh, really? <laughs> but it's definitely showing its age and mm-hmm. use at this point. If you talk real sweet to me, I'll give you mine. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so this one was on, this chapter was on uh, the importance of language to classical education. That yes, classical education is all about language mastery. Mm. As in words. So not like even a foreign language at all, but your language because in words, we have both the poetic knowledge side of things with the lots of connotations, the history. Words carry a lot of weight, the weight of all the, the meaning that, has, that they've been used for throughout their history. We have to know those connotations to be able to use the words well. And then there's also the analytical, logical side of words where there is precision and there needs to be pre- both precision and poetics, all of these elements are just inherent in words and in language. Hmm. So I'm excited to read through. I know chapter three, I can tell just by flipping through my book that I have read the the preface through chapter two. I don't even know how many times, but then Hmm. the notes and the underlining get very sparse (laughs) farther through the book. (laughs) So... I'm excited to uh, have the responsibility of starting this book group so that I have to finish it because I didn't finish the book group that was on the Ambleside forum that Karen led. But also, I am blogging through it. Oh, you are? I I just started. I have the first one is out and the second one, maybe third, will be out by the time this airs. And it's just one blog post per section. And one of the things that I wanted to do, well, I mean, it's a personal exercise because it's basically narration and making my own connection and application. As I'm doing the book club, I'm realizing I have to, and I'm reading writing to learn as well. So it's like, well, I have to write then. <laughs> if yep. I really want to learn this, I have to write. So that's what I'm doing. And one of the goals that I have for that blog series is for people who don't want to or can't buy the book themselves to be able to get the gist mm. out of it. So it's my thoughts, but it's also kind of a Cliff's Notes. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a $50 book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it starts off with a summary in a box. And then there are the what I believe are some of the most important quotes are pulled out. So I think that in total, it'll end up being a... A place to go to just kind of get the gist. So maybe Pam can just read my blog posts. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. No, I will say I did consider coming last night, except for the fact that it started after I have already turned into a pumpkin. 
I know. Mm-hmm. It's no, online, it's really, but it's it's a Pacific time zone book club. Yeah, it, it definitely favors those on the West Coast more than um, those of us over here. You mean the best coast? Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that except you're in California, so. <laughs> That's true. We had an earthquake yesterday, so we may be really close to the left side of the coast falling into the ocean, and we keep saying that's going to happen. So things could be looking up. (laughs) (laughs) I might need to cut that. Anyway. (laughs) Please send all comments and complaints to. (laughs) Anyhow, I totally derailed that, didn't I? I think we could probably move on now. Yeah, probably. we can move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, great. I officially I killed it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to transition to our topical discussion. And I think we're calling it Wonder Triage, right? And then Misty, you said Skolay as secret weapon. So we're basically beginning with the premise. Um, one premise. It's not the it's not the premise of Ravi Jane's and Kevin Clark's liberal arts tradition, but it's definitely a premise that's in the book, which is that wonder is instrumental to classical education. And mm, I don't think they actually say we can't truly be classical if we've lost wonder, but I'm gonna say that because I think we often think that we can be, and yet I think that's missing the point of what classical education actually is. So with that said, then we have these situations where we've lost wonder, our kids have lost wonder. I mean, it happens, right? That's reality. So I think Misty, you're the one that said it was a secret weapon. You want to start us off with kind of your idea on why you're calling it that? Well, I think it's easy to maybe read the posts or see the pictures, hear the conversations about Skolé and think, yeah, it's for those people that already have kids who read books for fun, who enjoy learning. Like if you're already at that place where you and your kids enjoy the learning process, then you can do Skolé. But, you know, if Someone's looking at that and said, but we don't. Those aren't my kids. That's not our life. That's not our style. So Skolay isn't for us. Or even getting to the point where you're kind of giving up on lifelong learning or enjoying learning at all, uh, having there be love of knowledge. It's easy to get to the point, I think, of giving up on that, especially in the midst of it. Or say, say if you have a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> For example, uh, they might try, your 12-year-old might be telling you that that's actually an impossible goal for his life. <laughs> what do you do then? Sounds like somebody's <laughs> speaking from experience. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Well, and I've had a lot of I've had a lot of people lately I've been hearing stories where I like, "Well, but wait a sec, we're talking about a 12-year-old?" Yeah, don't worry. This is it's just like, you know, the two-year-olds are throwing their food on t- from their tray onto the floor. You know that gate like all two-year-olds do that. And all four-year-olds lie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't have to do anything about it and help them through it. You don't just wait for that to be over, but that's just a 12-year-old thing. You know, it's okay. This isn't the end. Of- you haven't failed yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> it's just coming, it, but it's coming. <laughs> 
But then you said, so we can't do Scolay. But I think that Scolay might actually be the way to loving knowledge and lifelong learning and enjoying the process. But it's hard to see the way to implement it or to use it as, so I put secret weapon <laughs> because it doesn't, we don't have to call it that. It doesn't even have to, you know, it definitely doesn't have to look like the way you might see it elsewhere. It, it might not include watercolors, but it can still be scolet. <laughs> okay. I hate to say this, but I think we're going to have to define scolet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that too. <laughs> because, because, you know, this question actually came up in one of my communities this week. And so I'm hoping you give me a really great succinct answer so I can like type it up and, and go give it back to the person. Because when anybody ever asks me what Scolay is, I get complimented on my t-shirt all the time, y'all. <laughs> They're, oh, what's Scolay? And I tell them it's a Greek word for restful learning. And that usually ends the conversation. <laughs> but um, actually, they typically can't pronounce it. But that I don't really find that an adequate definition. Yeah. Well, I rumor has it, if you Google what is Scolay, Misty's blog comes up. So she has to define it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just get to be nitpicky after she's done. Well, I was just looking. Our little graphic on our site says restful learning. So I guess so we're saying that that's not. And it says seeking truth, goodness, and beauty first and foremost. But I think even that is still vague. So Scolay, a literal translation from the Greek would be leisure. And that's because the, the process of becoming educated was a luxury. It was for people who were no, no longer subsistence, you know, living hand to mouth. They, there was enough time to pursue thought and knowledge and truth instead of just the means of living, you know, food <laughs> and clothes and shelter. There, there was time in life beyond the basics. So I think it's a kind of a different category that we almost don't have anymore because as Americans, we have the categories of productive work. And usually, I mean, that's almost always income earning. And right. that's tangent. You know, that's one reason why we, we see posts online about what a stay-at-home mom would earn if she mm -hmm. were being paid. You know, where that's that's pretty much the only way we have to define work is through an income that it generates. And so, you know, as most mo homeschool moms or stay-at-home moms have felt that their work isn't valued because it's not income generating, that's because we have this category just so strong in our culture of productive, income-producing, profit-making work. Or if we don't have that, then the only other category we have is amusement, vacation, sleeping, you know, movie watching, much more entertainment, fulfilling my personal desires thing. Those are the kind of two categories we have for action. And Scolay is a separate category outside of both of those altogether. Okay. Oh, this is probably the best conversation we've ever had about this. <laughs> You'll get an A. 
<laughs> it's the third category. So now you're in the productive category because I gave you an A. <laughs> I just earned something. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but no, it's true. I mean, so yeah, it is that other spot. So less that makes complete and total sense to me. And I'm just going to repeat it. You know, in American culture, we have our productive category. We have our leisure category. And then the scole category would be the third category, which I think there are some activities that people do that they would label leisurely, which actually would fit into that scole category if they knew of it. Right. Yes. Like they think of it as entertainment or amusement, but it's actually scole. I think so. Yeah, because it would be, okay. you know, reading, you know, reading good books for enjoyment, going out with friends and attending, uh, going to the museum, attending a concert, you know, yeah, n- doing some kind of, of handicraft or something like that. Groups that you might belong to, like, a, a you know, you might go to a sewing group or uh, you might belong to a book club or you know, you might go to a poetry slam or something like that. Yes. People who play instruments as even adults and they, they join a community orchestra or a community choir. Hmm. You know, all of those things right. I think I would define as scole. Yes. So, and part of the issue is that if, if the only two categories you have are productive work, uh, useful work, and we would still use the word leisure. So I think that's where the the difficulty comes in is there's amusement and this idea of scole of leisure is that it's to stay away from the, like it's more human, you know, because <laughs> it's not actually helpful in definitions, but it's filling us or connecting us to truth or goodness or beauty or all three. So, you know, where you're reading a good book that's making you think, it's maybe connecting you to truth, or you're playing an instrument, it's connecting you to beauty. Maybe you're making a meal to take to someone, or, you know, you're visiting. Like a nursing home. A nursing home, yeah. Then, you know, you're connecting to truth, goodness, and beauty, uh, not just as abstract categories, but as actual actions that we're taking in the real world. Okay. So let's look at like your homeschool. So how many categories are there in a typical homeschool? You know, like we've broken out your typical American culture into two categories, which would be productive work and then amusement. And then we've said, okay, but there is a third category and it is scole. So if we're looking at our homeschools or the typical American homeschool, what categories would there be? This is one reason why checklists are so tempting because we have the productive work category so predominant. And I don't know, <laughs> it's already on our list of other episodes to talk about, but where we justify our kids' work as it's their job. You know, when we think in these kind of categories, like the schoolwork is my kid's job, then we're trying, we're, we're fitting school into that category of productive, useful work. And in the classical ancient mind, it was actually leisure 
not uh, not necessary. They wouldn't have called it productive in the same way. Then not not utilitarian. I wonder if this is why the feast metaphor is so useful, because we can very much envision ourselves being leisurely at table, right? And so when we talk about education being like a feast, I'm not freaking out. Well, okay, so some of us are anxious at table even, right? We're like, my child didn't eat any broccoli or whatever. Mm. So maybe, I mean, maybe even there, it's a metaphor for us to ponder. I'm really sorry because I'm trespassing on the other episode. But (laughs) okay, so we want to do an episode about metaphors. Let's just be honest. So, but I'm just thinking like, I, for me, I think that really helps me grasp Skolé because I don't want to narrow it down to nutrition. But I guess like if I view what I'm doing in the day as laying out a feast, it's pretty low anxiety, right? And I guess someone could claim to be allergic to something, but they're not. Um, (laughs) They'll get over it. The goal is for them to take in, right? So I want it to smell good and taste good and look good. I'm concerned with their attraction to it, right? And then as long as they're growing normally, I'm not that worried about how much of it take they take in at a meal, right? Like I'm not, oh my gosh, you know, she didn't eat enough at this meal. We do that sometimes when our kids are babies, but hopefully by the time they're in elementary school, we're like a little over it. So I'm seeing this general evidence of personal growth and like I move on, right? I'm not so worried about it, but the productive mentality, I think in school is so connected to things like testing and standards and benchmarking and finishing the curriculum. I mean, let's let's bring it to homeschools where we don't necessarily. Okay, that's so true. Right. Yeah. So this math curriculum said that it needed to be done in 36 weeks and I did 36 weeks of school. So why am I not done? But all of that. And I mean, it's hard for me because there is a sense in which, well, if I want my child to get through math level X in 12th grade, then if you work backwards, there does have to be a sense of pacing. But when we start letting that dominate, I think it can crowd out what we're going for, which is this idea of we want it to look good, taste good, feel good, be an enjoyable experience. That's all like very existential. But we want them feasting on, what did you say? Truth, goodness, and beauty. It's just a very different thing than what we all experienced in school, I think. Well, and part of it is recognizing that these are people that we're dealing with and not machines. So I might want them to to end at a certain math level by the time they're done. And that does mean, you know, we're going to generally make have to make this much progress or have this pace. But the reality of personhood is that sometimes things are clicking and things make sense and you're making fast progress and sometimes you're plateauing and things aren't working out and you don't understand and it ebbs and flows our ability to learn humans do not learn at a certain definite clip over the course of 12 years or your lifetime so we aren't trying to reach any kind of production goals we are fueling growth you know, taking where we are and looking for growth and having room for personhood 
for individuality and and making it not just about finishing the book, but about loving the book hmm. and loving knowledge. You know, so you're looking at what are my end goals in homeschooling and in education? Is it that we have finished this program, that we have done all the cool extracurriculars or, you know, everything that looked appealing at the curriculum fair, (laughs) all these, we've done the cool things. We've done the fun projects. We've built pyramids out of sugar cubes, read all the books on that book list. You know, are we looking at these kind of outside of ourselves standards or achievements, or are we looking at the people uh, and including ourselves and saying, is it a Charlotte Mason quote that the he knows that all of life, you know, the doors are open and he knows that all of life is not long enough to follow them all through. Mm. Is that what's hold on and I'll look it up. You get a CM gold star today, Misty. <laughs> You're so productive. You got an A and a gold star. Nobody else even did that today. Good job. Maybe I get a gold star for for uh, giving Pam an excuse to rant. The <laughs> <laughs> real life. <laughs> I get a gold star for that. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so in school education, it's it's in school education. We do not feel it is lawful in the early days of a child's life to select certain subjects for his education to the exclusion of others to say. He shall not learn Latin, for example, or shall not learn science, but we endeavor that he shall have relations of pleasure and intimacy established with as many as possible of the interests proper to him, not learning a slight or incomplete smattering about this or that subject, but plunging into vital knowledge with a great field before him, which in all his life, he will not be able to explore. So yes, all his life, that's a thing. And you know, actually, I mean, very school A here. Just thinking about that focus on relations of pleasure and intimacy. The point is not getting into college and the point is not him getting an A and passing his state test and the point is not his future income potential. She wants it to result in a life where he's able to continue to build these relations of Mm -hmm. pleasure and intimacy. I mean, it's a very different, very non-utilitarian goal. So what do we do? when we don't see that happening in our homes. I usually cry. I don't know about you guys. That's usually my first. (laughs) Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, or I leave and go to Starbucks. I'll be back later. (laughs) All right. So now that we know how mature I am, what do you guys do? Well, I think that we're bringing Scolay into the conversation because it is not that first you love learning and then you can scolay. It's that scolay is the style of learning or the atmosphere, the mindset that we bring in so that we can love learning and enjoy the process and cultivate interests, and build the habits of lifelong learning. Okay, I'm going back and forth on that, not to be contrary. But I do feel like there's a sense in which little kids are born, 
And they love figuring out this whole world around them. And then we adults somehow mess them up and kill it. Maybe we start standardizing it and then testing it. I'm not sure. But the point we're talking about, we've lost it. So. Yeah, if it's not there. Well, it's like which came first. Which came first, the chicken or the scolet? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think looking back, I mean, seriously, that's what we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah, it is. So looking back at those little kids, uh, we can see that it comes naturally. And they both love learning and have this open mindset to just taking it all in. Part of the atmosphere or character of scolet is losing yourself. So it's not, you don't have yourself involved. You, you've lost, you're not being self-conscious. You're not filtering everything through your preferences. You know, you're just kind of losing yourself in something else. Mm -hmm. And we see that with little kids. And we don't always see that when they're older for one reason or another. And I don't think that it's always necessarily that it's because we've done something wrong either. That's true, because there is a growing self-awareness. Uh -huh. Like it's natural, for example, for I think kids in like junior high-ish to start comparing themselves to others and saying like, oh, that kid knows something I don't know. And I mean, I saw this, I've seen this now with both of my older children, where they just hit this point around 12 or 13, where the growing self-awareness wasn't just the whole like, appearance thing that seems to happen where they start like fixing their hair before they get a youth group or whatever. But it was also this comparison of I'm getting a different kind of education than this other child over here. Is mine better? Is mine worse? Am I, do I know enough? Do I whatever? I mean, it was really kind of strange because it was both my most academic child and my least academic child. And they've both, they've both done that. I don't know. So you're, right. I think you're right. That like is, it was part of, a general growing self-awareness that caused that type of comparison to start happening. They're probably doing it with a million things. Right. Yeah. And so you don't, we don't have to say we don't have school. They, they, they say that they don't like this or they don't want this or they're not, they act like they're not interested. You know, what have I done wrong? <laughs> First you step back and you say, well, wait a sec. Are they somewhere between 11 and 13? <laughs> <laughs> This is normal. <laughs> and it's not even comparing with other kids even and, and being self-conscious that they're different. It can even be with their siblings. So, you know, you've been doing a lot of stuff together. Maybe you're doing morning time together and the older ones starts you know, separating even just through facial expressions or body language, not being that eager come to the table all excited. You, they're holding their excitement and even part of themselves back. And it's disconcerting. <laughs> it's um, worrisome for then the homeschool mm -hmm. mom who, when your whole goal is for them to care. And then suddenly you have a 12-year-old and it looks like he is doing his very best to not care about anything. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. So I don't know. If if we're way off topic now. But. Well, well, right. no, I think what I think what you said was really good. I, I'm still struck between have we have we started leaving an impression that Scole is. So we talked about little kids and how they they naturally learn and we somehow probably muck it up. 
And then we read that Charlotte Mason quote, which, if taken out of context, could almost seem like an advocate for a very relaxed or unschooly kind of learning. I see where people get that misunderstanding if they don't understand the whole of Charlotte Mason and what she was actually laying out. When you look at that quote, well, then it could seem that she's advocating for almost an interest-led learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to bring it back, like in my mind, I'm trying to bring it back to what is the mother's role? Okay, so we've just said that kids naturally learn this way. Or do they? Do they naturally learn this way? Or are they kind of more like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the book with all the kids who go on the island? Swallows and Amazons? No, not that book. (laughs) 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 Uh, The one where they go all native in the end. Um, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a way different book. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so if we were to leave these little children alone as natural learners, would would they eventually come around to a scole path or would it end up being kind of like a Lord of the Flies (laughs) thing? (laughs) Okay. I think that right there is probably, oh gosh. I mean, I that almost might be the difference in theological viewers. I, I mean, I'm thinking there that like, to some extent, what I said, not properly qualified, what I said earlier sounds a lot like Rousseau. Like the child is born perfect and society and his parents mess him up. So I think we can mess, like there definitely are things that we can do to kill learning. Yes. I mean, and schools do this all the time and parents do this all the time. Like, so it definitely can be, but like to over idolize the child leads us down the path of Rousseau. But then we have Lord of the Flies saying, actually, kids are just messed up like everybody else. (laughs) And, And at some point in a survival situation, if you don't have the structure of goodness, truth, and beauty, things get ugly. So then what is our role mm-hmm. is what you're asking. Yeah. And I'm wondering, for example, like with school A, you know, we talk about, for example, that knowledge needs to be reproduced in some way to really be taken in. Like the act of reproducing, which the simplest form is probably narration. So the act of reproducing is actually a way of taking knowledge outside of ourselves into ourselves and making it part of our personal experience. So the simplest thing would be narration, which even though we're natural narrators, there is a sense in like, if we want them to really be able to narrate, it has to be trained, right? So I do think there's a part of it where we're doing some skill training so that they have the tools. They can't do a written narration if they can't write. They can't do a painted narration if they can't paint. So we're, pro- we're providing skills. I guess we're also providing tools, right? Because they also couldn't do it if we didn't give them pens, papers, paintbrushes, paints. I mean, so there is this uh, provision. And time. And time. Mm-hmm. Right. True. The overlooked resource. <laughs> so I think, though, what we have to then start doing, and by we, I mean like me, like, you know, I'm, I'm mulling this around in my head is what is my role as the mother. And we can talk about a number of different things here, but one of them is to give them skills, tool, and time to provide them, honestly, the atmosphere that would foster Mm -hmm. this kind of learning. And that would be providing them with the skills they need, teaching them to read, teaching them to write, things like that. 
than to provide them with, you know, time and and I think you could even say, um, you know, an attitude, uh, an atmosphere of learning that would support mm-hmm. this kind of learning. So that would be one thing. Mm-hmm. But then I think our other role then is to, uh, and Brandy's talked about this before, you know, introduce them to, they have no idea. They have no idea that these paintings are beautiful or this music is wonderful or these books are special. Unless you introduce them to that. I mean, they're not going to wander around and find nearly as much of this stuff by themselves unless they have kind of a mentor to guide them. Right. Right. Right? Well, even when you take the example of strewing and unschooling, there's still a sense of, but somebody had to go out and find that resource and play it in the child's path. So even when you're really super passive, you still did something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, even when we look at other other philosophies, we still see this initiative on the part of the parent to make sure that the child had the opportunity to connect with something. Right. Exposure breeds taste. So it's our job to expose. Right. And whereas an unschooler yes. might do it through strewing, somebody like us might do it through morning time. Morning time. Yes. Yep. And two, I think that we have to recognize, I don't know, do I get a bunch of tomatoes? Do I get tomatoes thrown at me or my gold star taken away if I come back to trivium as uh, ages of development. (laughs) Like there is a difference between the elementary student who is very, where they are much more likely to get excited about all kinds of things and where it's very natural, especially if you start with, you know, these things from, you know, age six and you see their excitement and their interest. And a lot of times when you're starting out that way, you're like, oh, I didn't even think that a six-year-old could be interested in this. But look, it's just, just amazing. And you know, we kind of get a high mm-hmm. uh, and, and carried along with their enthusiasm. But you know what? They hit that logic stage and it's different and it looks different. And it I need a buzzer. You said logic stage. I need a buzz you. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not the definition of classical <laughs> education, but it is a developmental insight. <laughs> like kids at that age are different they and are. they don't have that same enthusiasm. Okay. So yes, just, it would be. Just, okay, go ahead. Sorry. I'm interrupting. I was just going to say it would be, it, I think it would be helpful though, if we stopped calling it grammar, logic and rhetoric and we found a different name, even if, I mean, they made up their own. Let's make up our own. <laughs> but, you know, there's definitely a difference between the elementary child, the middle, the middle school child, and the high school child. Um, so anyway, I guess. Yes. Okay. No, no, no. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because my number one beef with that is I think it causes people to not understand three of the seven liberal arts. So I totally okay, agree yeah. that there are stages of development. I just don't like giving it these classical names because then you talk to someone and they don't know what grammar is. They think grammar is somehow drill and quill learning. They don't understand. It's the entire body of literature of a culture. That's quintillion, right? So I just think it truncates our view of three of the seven liberal arts if we apply it to developmental stages because that's a complete disconnect if you read anybody in classical education older than 100 years, right? There was no sense that those things were 
connected. So for me, I'm like, yeah, l- grammar, logic, and rhetoric are just different. But I, I'm with Pam. Let's make up some cool words because per- pull parrot. I don't know. Those are yeah, not. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need better. We well, need better. even our culture already has the three separate schools, really, right? Because we have elementary, right, huh? middle school, and high school. And how many people talk about middle middle school as like the best place to be, right? And it, I think that sometimes we think that because we're homeschooling, our children are going to go straight from the elementary enthusiasm to high school discussion without going through the messy phase. It's really like we want them to skip puberty. <laughs> <laughs> that, be, that sounds nice. Yeah, we need like a get out of puberty free card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd even give up my $200 just to get that. <laughs> I know. Okay, so we'll come up with these names. And I think and maybe our listeners could help us. But um, like, I, I like the I have to be alliterative. I like the idea of the elementary student being the enthusiast. The elementary enthusiast. Oh, uh-huh. Maybe the middle muddle. <laughs> <laughs> the mu- you could just call it the muddle. the muddle everybody will know what you mean <laughs> the enthusiast the muddle oh misty's not gonna let us do that because it's not um parallel but <laughs> i like the word the enthusiast though because for i wouldn't say all but for many children there's definitely that just that exuberance of earlier childhood that is so it's so sweet really yes and if them maintaining that the whole time they're in our homeschool becomes our goal, you know, we love seeing it. And so if we want to hold on to that, are we setting ourselves up for failure? Yeah. <laughs> or at least feeling like failure for a while in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going they're going into the muddle whether we want them to or not. Right. And if we are trying to keep them like elementary students, we're really setting ourselves up as opposed to them, opposed to their growth. Yeah. Uh, one, of, one of the things that struck me in the 20 Principles book club that I'm in is in both of the first and the second principle, the readings included you being a person. Part of what's entailed in being a person and in having potential is that progress is what we want. Yeah. And I think if we try to keep our kids in that enthusiast mentality all throughout the time they're in our homeschool. What that feels like to the student is us trying to keep them little kids. Hmm. And that's what they're trying. They're, they're trying to grow out of that and find their way and find themselves. And we have to let them and kind of be, they are going to distance themselves and they are going to eat it sit in the back or lag behind the rest of the group on the nature's walk or, you know, these different things. And that's just them finding their way and struggling through it and trying to figure out who they are and what they like. And where this comes back to Scolé, I think, is in that process, recognizing that that process is them wanting and even needing their own interests and helping them find those and giving them time. And and so Scolay might not look like, 
here, I have set up morning time and I have set up, here's a commonplace book for you. And I have set up watercolors or here's a nature journal. This is what we're going to do. You know, it might look more like, well, what, what is one, what are one of your interests? And let's find a way for you to dig into that. And it's not about me telling you what your interests are anymore. It's about figuring out what you're interested in and giving you some time for that. Not that there isn't still the school, but helping them grow is a part of that process. It's very easy, I think, for us to overschedule children as they get older because we just keep adding things and adding things. And then suddenly they don't really have any time for pursuing their own interests if we're not careful. At least I find that to be a balance that I am constantly struggling with because when they were little, we didn't do anything. We just stayed home. And so there was lots of leisure time. So now it's a question. How do you, how do you give that gift of time? If time is the first resource they have to have. Especially when, because they're bigger, it looks like they are misusing it. (laughs) If you give it to them. (laughs) So maybe we start with not just time, but um, with respect for how they want to use it. Yeah. Well, and helping them find hobbies or interests, but letting them have some more say in some some of their time or even in some of their studies. Yeah, I, because I think, and this goes back to it, and I'm, I've been trying to wrestle this over in my my head, you know, in order to give them that time, Brandy, it may not just come from because they still need complete and total free time. Time that they may choose yes. not to be doing scole, but to be amu- you know, amusing themselves or sleeping. <laughs> what? <laughs> when you think about teenagers yeah. sleeping um, or, you know, or being with friends because they have all of these social lessons they have to learn mm-hmm. as well. And so um, does some of that carve into what formerly you would have you, the general you, you know, have designated for them as specific subjects or school studies or things like that. Do you carve into that to create some of this time for them to pursue their own interests? And if you're if you're looking at the metaphor of spreading the feast in elementary school, is there a different metaphor for the adolescent years? Like teaching them to cook. Hmm. They've got to make their own feast. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I know one thing that I started, I don't know if it was like a year or two ago, I started this in the summer and now I actually do this two to three times a year, but I took each child out individually on a date and basically asked them, you know, what, if you could change, it was a series of questions that were all very interrelated, even with this topic that we're talking about today, but it was things like, if you could change one thing about our school, what would it be? What's the thing you like the least? What's the thing you like the most? If you could study anything, what would, it, what would it be? And in fact, I just asked my kids that question at dinner the other night. And so today I bought a book on falconry and hawking <laughs> because, because somebody wants to know about birds of prey and taking care of them and all this and that. And I'm not buying anybody a hawk, so I got a book instead. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, I was just thinking that... She's not the fun mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, I live in... The People's Republic of California, right? So there's probably a million laws that you have to abide by in order to even have a hawk. But anyway, to me, that's where like the resource provision comes in. So if I if I give them time 
But I don't know, because I think with little kids, it's like you can almost strew any resource in their path. And they're like, oh, well, this is, oh, this is, oh, you know, everything's interesting or whatever. But I think when they're older, that communication, asking them, what do you, what are you actually interested in? Mm -hmm. What resources can I actually gather for you? I just think that is probably, it's a step that I overlooked with my oldest when he was in junior high. So I didn't start that until he was like in maybe ninth grade, like summer before ninth grade. But then I did started doing it with all my kids when I started with him. And I'm thinking even with my elementary students, there are things they wish they had and they will spend, you know, Pam, you were talking about like us being frustrated, maybe that they don't, they don't choose to spend their time on school. A. am noticing a difference that they will, they'll spend more on it if I've actually bothered to gather the resources for them. Hmm. Or even things like I've done something similar this year. And, you know, my kids know that I'm collecting the book lists or figuring out what we're going to do next year. And they are going to learn math. (laughs) It doesn't matter if they're interested in it or not. (laughs) And they (laughs) are going to do, you know, read history and they are going to learn science. But you know, within the category of science in in the big scheme of things, I mean, you do need to kind of have it well-rounded. But, you know, we aren't a school where everyone has to go lockstep and do this this year and that this, the next year. And the grade isn't associated with a certain subject, uh, a certain type of science that has to be done that year. You know, I, so I asked my 12-year-old, who will be 13 for the next school year, you know, what science are you interested in doing next year? It's not like no matter what he said, that would have been the decision, but he can have a voice in choosing some of our subjects. And, you know, he said he didn't want to do just one, you know, just like just biology or just chemistry. He wanted to kind of learn a little bit about a lot of different things. Hmm. And I said, well, that, ma- well, I didn't- well, that makes sense because of your personality. <laughs> <laughs> Very sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we found a science I and the one's like, well, this is what I would pick if I were just doing this. I would rather just go in the zone and choose all the things that I would like to do <laughs> with <laughs> have everything all work out in my own little system. But to kind of take some of that into consideration and say, well, yeah, you know, you, you can have a say in your education because as you get older, you should, like, if our goal is lifelong learning, at some point, that means them taking the reins and making some decisions. And so we can baby step them into that in their, you know, double digit years or whatever, instead of just having all the control and just telling them what to do until, you know, they hit 17 or 18 or out of the house and then just say, Oh, see ya. Do do your own thing now. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a danger though, and I think not saying that either one of you ladies would do this, but you know, <laughs> if if Brandy comes home with her falconry book or her hawk book or whatever, and then, you know, all of a sudden now there's uh hawk worksheets and a lap book and you know, all of these things that you're now required to do. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's gonna kill Yeah, it's gonna kill the love of it. And so Right. I mean, we can, we can make, we can kill anything. (laughs) Yeah. Adults can, can suck the the life out of anything. And I think it's important to say, well, you know, if I were interested in falconry, how would I learn about it? Yeah. You know, what would I do? And it wouldn't be to go out and get a worksheet. Really? (laughs) 
Yeah. No. Yeah. You know what? I actually saw. Okay. What's her name? The highfalutin homeschooler. I follow her on Facebook because she's very funny. But I noticed that she, I can't remember what she was talking about. If it was Easter or Palm Sunday or I don't know, whatever. But she was basically like, it's okay to just have fun sometimes. <laughs> like you don't need to worksheet it to death. And I was thinking because I'm so bookish myself and books are the primary way that I prefer to read to learn about something. I am very comfortable just handing my child a book and then know, knowing that when they're done, they might ask for another one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's, that's a great question. Why or how would we learn ourselves? I love that because I would basically start with a book and then I might make notes and I might do a written narration and I might not like a literal written narration, but you know what I mean? Like I might write something on my blog or whatever. <laughs> so anyway. Well, what gets, what gets tricky is where coming at it from a, well, what I would do is I would get one book would not be enough. If I'm interested in something, no, I have to get no. five books. <laughs> right. <laughs> and do an internet search oh, yeah. and watch videos online. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what do I do when my child who has a potential interest isn't a book person. So my right. uh, 10-year-old is much more of a, a doer. It's not that she doesn't like mm. to read, but it, it's just not the same. She reads and she has favorite books and all that, but it's not at all the same as my introvert book devouring older boys. Then you have to buy a hawk. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> or you have to take them to the zoo. Yeah. Or yeah, to true. a bird rescue. Yeah. Well, you so know, we got, you have to find some videos on YouTube and, and then talk about it with them. Well, so you for know. her, we got her sewing lessons. Mm. So because she's clearly someone who probably can sew. And if I tried to teach her how to sew, both of us would end up in tears every time that machine got plugged in. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's so not my thing. <laughs> no. So I look at the sewing machine and I cry. So, and, um, so we got her sewing lessons, and I could see where it would be tempting to say, "Okay, so sewing is going to be something that you're interested in." And she is interested in it. So therefore, it's my job to give you assignments to say, okay, we're going to pull a math lesson out of this and, you know, maybe geometry from the pattern. And now it's going to all be about sewing. And we're going to see how, you know, we can learn about period costuming and we can do all these things where it's all for Scolet. The Scolet approach to this is not that. The Scolet approach is here's sewing lessons. So you know how to use the machine. Here's a machine. Here's fabric. Here's thread. And what else do you need or want? And here's time and not even a requirement to have a certain thing done at a certain time, but it's a hobby, just like anyone else would have a hobby. You know, maybe she'll want to do other things. Maybe at the point where she gets to geometry, who knows, she will make some connections there. But that's not my job to connect all those areas of learning in the one hobby. It is to let her have her own hobby and time to do it. Because if you, I mean, then it's back to masterly inactivity, right, Brandy? I mean, you have to, like the teacher has to stay out of the way between the child and the book. You have to, you know, it's kind of the same principle. Yeah, I was just mm -hmm. thinking about really when we start doing all the worksheets and everything that really we're just, we're taking back over. So we're like, 
Yeah. You want to have this interest. So here, let me dominate that for you. Really? I mean, yeah, I keep very short school hours for that reason. I'm going to be directing this. And even then I'm not entirely directing this, but I mean, I'm going to be giving this level of structure only for these few hours per day. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the time I am support staff. (laughs) So I provide the resources for whatever it is they want to do within reason. So having Scolay in the day is perhaps about not being in control, forcing your agenda. Well, I think Scolay doesn't flourish if you're in control and forcing your agenda. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, it goes back to those, uh, because uh, to me, a big part of Scolay that's always happened in my day has been morning time. Well, that's true. And I'm definitely laying out the plan, you know, laying out the feast there. I have the plans. And even when the kids get into middle school, while I always think morning time should be age appropriate, just because they start rolling their eyes a little bit doesn't mean that they're going to get to check out. Right. Exactly. You know, I think you ha- it's not forcing your agenda so Scole can flourish, but I don't think it's the only way to have Scole. I don't think Scole is completely 100% interest led all the time. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's when... I don't know. I I feel like we can have that moment where the tension starts to build and we realize that we need to diffuse the situation, that we've forced all the scully out. And maybe it really wasn't us. Like it could, it can definitely start with the child, but I just mean there's still a place for backing off and trying a different approach. I don't think that scully has to necessarily mean interest led in the sense that it was specifically requested by the child. But I think to go back to that, to that Charlotte Mason quote that we were quoting before, where she says, you know, we're not excluding certain things, but we endeavor that he shall have relations. So when we view it as this relationship building thing, I think that naturally leads us to methods that would coincide with Scalay. And so we have this underlying goal of we want it to be enjoyable in the sense of richness, in the sense of engagement, I guess. Right. They're learning how to be interested. So even whether it's something you've picked or something they've picked, Mm. uh, they get practice in being interested. And so even if you're at a point where uh, maybe they're not, they don't seem to be interested in anything you've got or in your plans, your scope and sequence, it's not a lost cause. And because them being interested is part of our goal, because that is a that's wrapped up in being lifelong learner, in pursuing knowledge and loving knowledge, that means that we can start by building interests. So if it's a, a fire, a little flame inside of them, if it's just we can let something spark and start small and maybe start with something they're already interested in or let them pick something Mm. and them practicing being interested and pursuing some kind of knowledge, any kind of knowledge almost will transfer over. So we can't necessarily force it on our agenda or our time or our topics but if we need to build it, 
we can take something else and uh, it's practice that can transfer. Hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to wake up tomorrow and say, well, the Scully sister said (laughs) we should throw everything (laughs) out and and, and, let's just let them study what they're interested in. Oh my gosh. I hope people don't ever say that about anything we say. (laughs) (laughs) That feels really dangerous. (laughs) The, the idea is that it's it's not a completely all or nothing kind of thing. And we're not talking about skill yeah. work here. That goes back to the tools that we have to give them in order for them to be able to educate themselves freely like this, which goes back to the true meaning of the trivium and things like that. But, you know, they have to learn to read and they, you know, they, they have certain skills that they have to do. Learn how to do to learn algebra in order to be (laughs) able to to carry on this learning and to learn freely. And then there's also, you know, kind of this this middle ground of well, they have to be at morning time, but they can choose the poem they're going to memorize. Right. Yeah. They have to be at morning time, but we're gonna make sure that there's not just something there for their you know, 10, eight and four year old sibling, but there's also something there that they would specifically enjoy. Or sometimes at that point, it's even letting them lead, you know, to feel responsibility and be in charge rather than feeling like one of the little kids, but to give something over to them. Mm -hmm. If mom is a co-learner, then when somebody else is old enough, they can take the leadership role on some things and mom doesn't have to do it herself because she's the co-learner. Mm-hmm. So it, it could mean small steps like that. I'm sure that you're letting your child help choose the science curriculum, but you're still going to have a certain procedure list that they have to follow. Yes. Right. Hmm. And, and it's not like anything was on the table either. You know, it's going to be something that's at that possible, but a challenge, you know, that helps you learn and grow. So there, there, there are these intermediary steps and giving them those choices and realizing that once they leave the enthusiastic elementary stage and they move into these other stages, we have to start shifting how we're teaching them and, and the freedoms that we're allowing them and then continuing to model, providing resources doing our own learning and growing and letting them see that those are all part of this process. Right. And helping them develop hobbies and interests of their own that aren't necessarily the same as the school. So maybe to us, it feels like because we are having to find resources or having to make sure that they have something, it can be maybe hard to, to make that dividing line between what's school and what's not school. But there are things, you know, they have to do their math. We're going to do morning time. These are part of our lessons. But if they've lost the joy or they just, they, they're disengaging to look for hobbies and side interests to help them pursue, because that's what we are doing when we build school A into art is it's not like it's all about our homeschooling lessons. Like that's the only kind of books or the only kind of hobbies we're, we're trying to build scolay in ourselves or do scolay ourselves and that means a broad interest base but it does also mean being available to them because you know if you have an 11 year old who has this interest not only do you have to provide resources but you know you can't say okay well school's done now go do your hobbies and i'm just going to go over here and do my thing and not provide some additional support they might need 
you know, they might need help doing some research, finding some appropriate resources, you know, taking a trip to the store, having someone, mom, I can't get this part. Can you come help me do it? Mm -hmm. And so you can't just throw your hands up and say, well, that's not school. I have to go do the laundry now. Because I often see, I see this dichotomy, this issue that moms have with, oh, no, my house is falling apart. I can do school. And then I have to go and take care of everything else. I have to go drive the other kids around. I have to do this. And then they, they don't have time right, to help those kids with their hobbies. And so yeah, you, we can't just say, well, you know, I'm sorry, this is your hobby. This is your free time. You know, you have to do it on your own. Especially when the child's an extrovert. You know, it might not even be that they need help so much as they need company. <laughs> oh, see, this is when you say, ask your dad. <laughs> okay that's probably not what i'm supposed to do but i won't say it never happens well it's great if your dad's there oh no i'm like call him at work (laughs) 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 don't let his absence stop you (laughs) well and so sometimes that might even mean really taking a hard look at what we have planned for the school day and say, well, if this is wearing me out and wearing the kids out, how much of this is essential and how much of this is me filling time and maybe helping them develop and build a hobby is actually more important than maybe something that I've put on our school plan. I think that's something to consider. I really do. Because, you know, moms are stretched so thin with their time. And, you know, we're saying, okay, we'll get your kid a hobby. But most kids are going to need some support with that hobby. And so it feels almost like we're adding something else onto the plate. So can the child's interest or the child's hobby be a legitimate part of the curriculum? Well, if we want them to be lifelong learners, then it needs to be part of our plan to help them build the habits and the practices of pursuing and building interests. Yeah. And I don't think that that means that, uh, see, I think that it's actually transferable. (laughs) I don't think that if we're helping them build a separate personal hobby or interest, that that will in any way take away from their studies. See, I think they will, they're actually complementary. And if they are interested in something, that interest will grow and expand, and they will grow to become more interested in those studies because they will start making connections because connections will be there because it's the way the world is, right? Rel- science of relations. So if you get them started in pursuing interests, It's not the same thing as like specializing and narrowing down. It's not going to narrow them down unless we let them do that to the exclusion of everything else. Right. But we, if we still have the basic subjects in place, I think what we'll actually see is their interest spreading and growing and encompassing those things. Whereas I think, well, no, if you're not even interested in history, in this history that we're studying, then you're not going to, you know, do any, I'm not going to help you get started with anything else. Or, you know, you, you don't have time for a hobby because 
you don't even spend your time on your schoolwork well. You, yeah, I've encountered that actually. It's, I mean, and it's hard because they do need to spend the time that they're doing their schoolwork well. But I do think we have to be careful letting that just narrow the child's life down to just school because I think that compounds the problem. That's probably outside the purview of this episode. <laughs> but it is, I think it's good to keep in mind. And that interests tend to be synergistic. So becoming more interested in this or that tends to start growing in us a tendency to being interested, I think. Yes. Like to some extent, it's not all habit training at all. I don't think that. But I do think that we can have a habit of being interested or not interested. And so if you need to break a habit of being not interested, you can perhaps start by taking an interest that they have and helping them build that out with similar sorts of things like, well, let's keep a notebook or let's uh, draw some diagrams or here, you read about it and then tell me about it at dinner. Those skills and that ability to be interested and ability to pay attention will carry over into their school. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Okay, guys. So tell me this. We've kind of been all over the place in a good way, I think. I mean, after all, we say this is a casual conversation, not a lecture. But what's one idea you think we should walk away with? And you can both have a different one. It's okay. What's your one do not forget point? I think don't let a lack of enthusiasm discourage you. Mm, that's a good one. Did Pam leave? No, I'm just still processing. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> the wheels are turning. They are. I think for me, my takeaway is just the constant need to remind ourselves that school A is ultimately self-activity. It's not an activity on my part. And so looking for ways to foster that happening is one of the best things that I can do for my kids. If I want them to be well-educated persons when they leave home. So that helps bring together a few of the things we talked about, like resource gathering and being there, but at the same time, not being overly controlling. So just looking at it as it's their thing and I'm support staff. That helps me, I think. I guess mine would be that how they are as learners is going to change as they go through different stages of development. And so I've been rejecting the idea of the trivium as these stages for the past few years, but I need to remember that the developmental phases they describe are actually real. And so I'm not going to be able to teach the same way. And I need to consider as my kids are in this second stage now, two out of the three of them, hmm. that this is this is going to look different. Mm -hmm. That's good. You guys both get a gold star. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. As a reminder, we'd love you to head on over to Instagram and follow the Scalay Sisters account. Also, if you haven't already done so, mark your calendar for the Scalay Sisters online retreat this fall. Did you hear? Cindy Rollins will be joining us. The date is 
Saturday, September 15th, we encourage you to get together with Scalay Sisters in your local area. That was so much fun last year. Also, we plan to have a live meetup for forum members in the Chattanooga area, so watch for announcements about that. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone, so open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. I was just loading a Word document because I, because I keep my Word document. Oh, come on, what? Hold on, I'm fighting here. PC. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, so we're at an we're at an hour thirty five. <laughs> so, um, this gift of editing that you have given me, uh, I I think we should. I think we should wrap this gift <laughs> or wrap it up as the case may be. I don't know. Maybe we could go for five more minutes and you can just have the, the joy of trying to piece out two episodes from it all. <laughs> no. <laughs>